Hey, this is Mike with the Best Speech Podcast. Re-releasing our first few episodes here. The very first one is with Grant Baldwin, who is like just such a natural choice for this. Grant is the best. He knows speeches inside and out. You'll know Grant from the Speaker Lab, but he's also, he's given speeches all over the country. He's a natural choice for our first episode. So we're going to talk about speaking in general. We're going to talk about fail-safes for when things go wrong. We're going to talk about when you should have people move to the front of the room. And of course, we're going to talk about presenting virtually when your whole life you've been doing it face-to-face. Check out my episode with Grant Baldwin from the Speaker Lab. Y'all, it's happening. First ever podcast. This is the first ever one? (laughs) I feel greatly honored. I'm here with Grant Baldwin, who's feeling a nuisance of pressure. If anything, Grant, I feel like the pressure is to make it, because everybody ends up going back and being like, you can go listen to my first podcast. It's really terrible. Like, so there might be pressure to... like screw up a little bit that's great that's great that's great yeah don't it's kind of it's kind of like the okay i'll give an example since we're talking about speaking there was a time i haven't gotten into that but yeah yeah i know i know so i assume this is what we're going to cover so years ago i was speaking at a church and before i go up on stage it was a a good-sized church and they had multiple services and before i go up on stage uh one of the other guys on on staff says hey there's this kind of sketchy looking guy that walked in and like has a trench coat type thing and is sitting over on the side and we're keeping an eye on him, but we just want you to know. Good luck. You know, and it's just kind of like, okay, I'll try not to think about that. So I'm on stage, you know, watching this guy out to the side the whole time thinking like, oh, he's, 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 he's reaching his pocket. Someone go check him. Is someone checking this guy right now? So that feels like this moment of just like, Hey, just, you know, it's going to be a casual interview. Oh, by the way, this is the first and most important one. So don't <laughs> blow it. Beatsy Dub wearing a trench coat. Yep. Yep. Grant is one of my good friends. He is a, a wealth of knowledge in speaking. He's been a, can we call you a professional speaker, motivational speaker? What's your, what's your adjective for speaker? Just a speaker? Yeah, tend to like motivational speaker just has so many weird connotations to it. It's the it's the Matt Foley van down by the river (laughs) sort of thing, and you're like, yeah, I guess that's sort of what we do. So, uh, yeah, I mean, for a long time, I I was a speaker and and did a ton of speaking, and was doing sixty, seventy gigs a year. I still do some speaking, not nearly as much, but the core of what we do today is on the the teaching and training side. And when I was speaking a lot, I had a lot of people were asking me, hey, I want to be a full time speaker. What what do I need to do? How do I find gigs? Yep. And I, I love speaking. I also love the business of speaking. How do you find and book gigs and know how much to charge and who hires speakers and that whole world? So uh, yeah, that's a core of, of what we do today. But the you know I've been in the speaking industry and been around the speaking industry for many, many years. And it's a fun, fascinating, you know, mysterious world. Mysterious world. Grant has written a book called The Successful Speaker, posted this year. This is actually where I wanted to start. So I don't remember if it's in the book or if it was something you posted promoting the book, but you talked about the first time that someone handed, like you, you spoke somewhere afterwards, someone handed an envelope full of cash. I don't know if it was literally cash. Or I don't think it was check. cash. It was a check. Okay. <laughs> that makes check. more sense. And you're like, I can't believe someone's paying me to do this. But now that I've gotten to know you a little better, like you're a pretty introverted dude. So I'm curious what, like whatever drew you just 
Why was speaking on stage something you ever wanted to do? Yeah, I think there's a, a real misconception that in order to be a speaker, you have to be this like kind of raging extrovert, life of the party, Tony Robbins, jump around stage, clap, rah, rah, you know, cheerleader type. Uh, and I have actually found over the years that a lot of speakers that I've met, a lot of speakers I know are actually relatively introverted. Like we like mm -hmm. being around people, but mm -hmm. we also are like being on stage, speaking as you well know, is also very mentally, emotionally, physically draining where you, I, I would remember times where I, I would, you know, give a great talk and go back to my room and just feel exhausted, just completely fried and not in a negative way, but just feel like that was so much fun. That was amazing. But man, that was really, really tiring. I, again, I, I think in order to be a speaker, you don't have to be some type of, of crazy extrovert and you don't have to be the life of the party. I think for me, I just enjoyed speaking. Like I enjoy being around people. I enjoy hanging out with people, but I also have no problem at all, you know, being home by myself. So like at the time of this recording, we've kind of been in the thick of the quarantine stuff and I work from home. My wife homeschools our, our daughters. Um, we're both relatively introverted. So we're kind of like, yeah, this is just kind of business as usual, you know? But wait, um, but, but Grant, like why you're like, but I like speaking, but where did that start? I mean, is that like fifth grade show and tell? Like where, where does that start where you like speaking? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, um, like I can remember taking, you know, the, whatever the required speech class was in yeah. high school and remember like, oh, that was kind of fun. Uh, and I think part of it was I was really involved in my local church. My youth pastor had a big impact on my life and he, I always thought he was a phenomenal speaker. And so that for, for a while, like that's what I really resonated with. And that was kind of the path I was on. So I was like, I want to do that. And so I went to Bible college, was a youth pastor for a little while. And that gave me a lot of at bats to speak. Mm -hmm. And like, that was just kind of part of the gig. One, I really enjoyed it. But two, I quickly felt like I'm decent at this, you know, and I didn't feel like uh, there wasn't any sense of like, I'm, I'm the second coming of the world's right. greatest, you know, I'm the future Tony. I was just like, no, no, like there's something here, you know, like I really enjoy this. This is fun. I've got really good feedback. Um, and so it just, it really resonated with me. So I worked in this, this as a youth pastor for a little while, parts of it I liked, parts of it I didn't like, but I, I was trying to figure out like, okay, if I was going to do something else, what would I do? Uh, the thing that I, I kept resonating with was speaking. I was like, I just really enjoy this. You know, like when you kind of think back on moments in life where, you know, you, you did something, you're like, I just really felt alive. Like yeah. that was really fun. And so, you know, I think of like, you know, whether it was teaching a Sunday school class to a handful of people or like, again, like in a high school class or college class and you're giving a speech and like that was, you know, I may have flunked the class or something, but that was fun. I enjoyed it. Uh, I just liked that experience. So it wasn't about feeling like, okay, in order to do this, you have to be right. some crazy extrovert. Right. Well, and that's, that's interesting. I found myself telling people this a lot is it's like, once you, once you stop playing sports, once you graduate college, there really aren't that many opportunities to get this like massive emotional high Yeah, that you produce yourself. I mean, you can do it from like watching sports or something like that that moment where you finish up the speech, you get the big applause. That is, that's as close as I'll come to hitting a home run in a real ballpark. Yeah. 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 It's a euphoric feeling that it's, it's really, it's a weird feeling, but it's a euphoric feeling that is hard to compare to anything else. When you are in the thick of a talk, especially if it's a, you know, it's a high stakes, it's a big event and um, a large audience, it's a big stage. And you feel like, I've practiced, I've prepared, I've done the work, I'm in the thick of it and like nailing it. Yeah. You know, not in a cocky, arrogant way, but just like, 
I, I know I have the audience with me right now. I know I'm leading up to this punchline and I know it's just going to kill. And I know like it, this is going really well. And then afterwards, you know, you, whether you get a standing ovation or you have a bunch of people who want to talk to you or, or take pictures with you or autographs or high fives or hugs or handshakes or whatever it is. It's just like, but you've had autographs. Yeah. It's weird. Like, thousands and thousands of autographs and pictures and because for a long time uh, like early on and you know this like a, a a lot of the speaking i did early on in my career was it was in the education space so i did a lot of high school conferences i did a lot of colleges and in those worlds you know you're kind of this pseudo celebrity where people don't have a clue who you are when you show up for an event uh, i'm not some big name or anything and so they're just you just happen to be the speaker that was <laughs> speaking at the event uh, but then afterwards, people are like, that was amazing. And you must be a big deal. And can we take so especially like when my wife and daughters would come with me to an event, and they're like, what? Why are people taking a picture with dad? Like, why do they want his autograph? <laughs> yeah, it's just it's, it's weird. It's a, yeah, it's a weird world. Well, and there, you know what, there's, there's something interesting about that moment where you're totally in the flow where you're totally present with the audience, you know, you're nailing yeah. it. I've always equated that to I wasn't like a great basketball player or anything. But sometimes I would have a game where I'm just like, oh man, I don't even feel my arms. Like this is just perfect release rotation yeah. switch, you know? Yeah, yeah. Everything's going in. The the bucket's huge. Like it just everything is working. Totally. So let's let's talk about that. Can you think of can you think of a time, and you don't have to say where it was necessarily, but can you think of like the best you ever felt on stage? Yeah. I think this also ties into, uh, we may get to this, but you know, times where it felt like you bombed. So let, let me just kind of give you my perspective on when things go really, really well or things go not so well and the different variables that go into this. And, and again, this is stuff you understand and know, but like, I think one variable factor is certainly you as a speaker, mm-hmm. you know, did you do your part where you, did you practice? Did you prepare? Were you rehearsed versus did you phone it in? Did you go through the motions? Right. So there's, you're absolutely a variable and factor. Another variable and factor is going to be the audience. And what I mean by that is, you know, let's say, let's say you're speaking at a conference and it is, I, I can think of a conferences where I was the opening speaker and it's the kind of the kickoff thing. And, and everyone is really, really excited to be there. And I can think of a, a conference I spoke at years ago in Atlanta and it was like a, a four day thing, all day sessions. And I was like, uh, one of the last workshops on the last day and people are just exhausted, exhausted, you know? And so like, I, I didn't do anything wrong. There's not a lot I could have done and it went fine. You know, it wasn't like it was a complete disaster or anything, but it's also recognizing like there's very variables there that I can't, I, I can't right. necessarily control. Another example would be like, let's imagine you're speaking to a group of, of sales executives or salespeople. And right before you speak, the vice president of sales gets up to introduce you and says, okay, before, you know, our speaker comes, you know, this, this pandemic has really affected us. We're actually going to have to lay off half of you after the speaker presents. So, so anyway, please welcome to the stage, Mike. Um, it's just like, Wait, it doesn't matter. Something like that though, have you? No, 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 no. But like okay. the point being like, it doesn't matter what you say on stage at that point, nobody's paying attention. I'll, I'll give you an example of a, like a version of that. Yeah. Is I remember a few, uh, several years ago, I was speaking in Houston and um, it was the day before a hurricane was going to make landfall in like Galveston, like a 45 minutes, an hour away or something. And so I'm speaking and the, everybody's just on their phones, just yep. thinking about like, I got to get out of town. I got to make sure my family's safe. I'm personally trying to think through like, I got to get out of town because I got a flight later and is it going to be canceled? And so it's just like those type of scenarios that like something is happening that is outside of your control that may mean like, 
it didn't, the talk didn't go great, but it, it, there's not a lot you could have done differently, right? So you're a variable, the audience is a variable. Another variable is going to be the environment. So I'll give you an example of this. So I remember years ago speaking at a uh, conference in New Jersey and um, it was kind of like this big industrial warehouse and they had seating set up for about 2000 people. And so the, I did a, a keynote that was for about 2000 people. And so it's basically the room is packed and it's great. And right afterwards, they're going to have me do a workshop um, for about 50 people. And they're like, we don't really have a great setup anywhere else. So we're going to have you do it in the same room. Well, doing a keynote for 2000 people in a room that seats 2000 people <laughs> is great. But doing a, a, a talk for 50 people in a room that sees 2,000 people is just, it's a disaster. Um, and it's just empty, you know? They so like keep you on stage, like still mic'd up. People really it's spread just like, apart. Yeah. It's, and like as a speaker, you you have a responsibility to like adjust the environment, kind of adapt there. Because like in that type of setting, like it's foolish to try to stand up on stage and pretend like that, you know, you should speak like there's 10,000 people in the room, but there's not. There's 50 here and it feels dead and empty. So I need to do my part to kind of adjust and uh, accordingly um, to that setting and to that environment. So those would be some different examples of where there's a lot that goes into to this went really well or this didn't go well. And it's not to like throw it aside as like, well, those are some things that are outside my control. I can't do anything about it. And the audience wasn't with me. So it's not my fault. No, no, no. I'm not suggesting that at all. But realize there's certainly things at play that affect how a talk goes. And some of them you have more control over than others. So, okay, let's walk through that. There are 2000 people. Now there are 50. What did you do? So uh, people to the front like what's your yeah move? yeah yeah so like in those type of settings like you always you what you want just in general is you want a uh, density you want the room to be almost too small i remember like another example of an event where i got to and the the event planner was like uh we've set there are chairs everywhere in this room and and he's like it's still like too small we may have you know we may have to have standing room is it okay if we have some people on the side it's just it's going to be too cra-. and you're like Yes, this is perfect. <laughs> That's exactly what you want. You want a room to feel too small. You want a room to feel like, ah, it's just because energy, laughter, excitement, yep. engagement is contagious. And so if the more people are spread out, the more it just dies, you know, the more it just like, it just feels empty. So there have been times where I have, um, there's a stage, there's a microphone. I'm like, it doesn't make sense to use these right now. So let's, you know, let's everyone, uh, I want you to sit in the first two rows. I want you to sit as close to the middle and I'm not going to stand on the stage, you know, 30 feet away from, I'm going to come down here. I'm, I'm just going to talk loud. I don't need a microphone. And we're going to work with what we've got in this type of setting right now. Uh, and so like you, you have a responsibility as a speaker to, realize, okay, there's some type of setup. Cause there's sometimes where like in an event uh, or a conference, like they set it up and the room is fine, but it's not, it's not really well set up for oh, yeah, yeah. the podium speaker. right in the middle of the stage. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that mm-hmm. type of thing. Or I remember, uh, I can remember a couple times where they, they had like a, um, uh, like a dance floor, kind of a, like the, like those wood paneled oh, you yeah. know, <laughs> dance floor there. And then, or times where like you're trying to speak during a, a meal and there's servers coming and going and that, there's glasses. That is my absolute worst scenario. Like I'm trying to, and I'm trying to like time it to speak when the water's being poured, but there are 12 yeah. different tables. Like you can't yeah, possibly yeah. pull it off. Yeah. Yeah. So like all these different variables and factors that like absolutely play a part. And so I, I think as a speaker over time, you start to kind of recognize like, okay, I spoke in this environment and it didn't go well. So how do I, how do I help the event planner next time? Any event planner. So yeah. for example, you know, if I was invited right now to speak at a meal, um, Hey, can you, you know, can you speak during our meal? I was like, yes, 
but here's what that needs to look like. Meaning that I don't want to start speaking until everyone is finished and their plates are cleared and tables are, and like I have their attention, not Mm -hmm. during dessert, not while people are still picking up plates and clinking glasses and no, like the table is cleared. The server staff, uh, if there's a server staff, they need to know like you're done. You don't come in the room until we're done. And it's not like you're trying to be this prima donna or this diva or just this jerk to work with. You're just saying in order for this to be effective for everybody, this is the best way that I have in my experience. Here's how I've seen that works. Yep. And if you're going to do it a different way, it just isn't effective and it's going to be a waste of time for everyone. And you know, you don't, I don't want to waste my time. You don't want to waste your time or money for us to do this. So if we're going to do this, let's, let's do it in a way that is a win for everyone. Yeah. And that's something I've even noticed that I've, I might've stolen this move from you, but I've given people, here's my preference for how you have me mic'd up. Yeah. Like lapel mic number one. Worst case scenario, stand-up comedian where I'm holding the microphone myself. Yep. Because I've got that in one hand and click on the, the other. And why are both my hands being used while I'm supposed <laughs> to be giving a speech? Right. Right. Yeah. And so there's there's going to be certain things like lighting or microphone preference that are just purely preferences, right? Where I, you know, I think I'm going to give a better presentation if I do. I was watching Seinfeld's new Netflix special and he loves having a corded microphone, you know, and he uses it more as a prop and a lot of comedians do, which is fine. I prefer, I prefer actually a countryman, which is basically like you think of like the the Garth Brooks, Britney Spears coming over the ear, coming down in front of you. Uh -uh. I like those. Countryman? No. Uh -uh. Yeah. That's what I like because I think a lapel on your sternum, like the top part of your chest that those uh, those can be super, super hit and miss. And I don't think they always pick up real well on audio. Um, my other preference would be like, if I'm going to have like a handheld one, I'd prefer it to be cordless. But the other thing is like testing all these things. Because sometimes I test a lapel that's on, that's on your shirt and like it just doesn't sound good in there. And a handheld just sounds dramatically better. So you have a, like a preference of just like, this is what I would prefer, but I tried it and given this, yeah. the setting, like it just doesn't work. Or like, here's this dusty old, you know, wireless thing we found. If you want to use that, it's like, it just, it's a bad, it's a bad setup. So ultimately like, again, there's a difference between, you know, Hey, here's a preference. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll make it work with what you got. But, um, if I'm going to have a vote, here's what I have seen in my experience as a professional speaker that works best. That's going to be best for you. It's going to be best for your events. And it's going to be best for your audience. Yep. Yep. Totally. Okay. So Grant, now that we've descended down into a speaker nerd role that <laughs> <laughs> like three people in the audience were like, Oh yeah, yeah, lapel mic. We should totally stop avoiding the question. What was the best speech you gave? What was the best you have felt giving a speech? I remember, I remember a talk in Idaho uh, in Boise at a big conference that was, uh, it was just a, um, just a packed room and it just went, Mm -hmm. like, it just felt like everything was on, you know, because what's interesting and you know, this is like, you can tell one story to 10 different audiences and get 10 totally different reactions. And for whatever reason, like this night um, with this particular audience, like, everything I was saying, like they were just like, wow, if they, they were dying laughing at that, they're going <laughs> to love this thing coming up. You know, it was just like that where like everything was working. Um, it was a, again, it was like a small compact room. The ceiling was kind yeah. of low. So it wasn't like, you know, there's been times where I've spoke in, you know, the, the biggest event I ever did was, um, for 13,000 people in, in an arena. Mm. And, on one hand, you're like, that's really cool, you know, but it's just like, it is a huge room that even with 13,000 people feels like a huge yeah. room. Your gestures just need to be like 
it's enormous, just, massive. Yeah. So, you know, something like that, like that Idaho one, or even like the North Dakota one I mentioned, that was really fun one where like the room, like the, the ones that I feel like I re- really, really enjoyed, like, man, that went really well. It's because like all of the factors clicked and it wasn't just yeah. like, man, I, I did my part and uh, the audience wasn't with me. So I felt great about it. No, like when everything clicks, it's just like, that was really, really fun. Hmm. Do you give the same speech every time? It depends on the audience. Um, so when I was like, when I was oh, right, it's always going to change a little, but like, is yeah, it- yeah. Like when I was speaking full time and I was doing, you know, 60, 70 gigs a year, uh, I it was usually like one, I usually had two different ones that I did. Uh, and both were, it would be 90, 95% the same depending on the audience. Uh, and I think that, I think that's also kind of a, a misconception amongst people who are newer to speaking that, all right, every audience I speak to, I have to, I have to do this brand new talk from scratch. Yeah. And it's kind of like, like a good way I like to think about it is like, if you're going to a restaurant, like you can have the chef, like, Hey, I can kind of whip something up or like, here's the signature dish. We have made this thousands of times. This is completely perfected and dialed in. And so each time you speak and tell a story, you're getting that real time feedback of this work. This didn't work. They laughed. They didn't laugh. I need to make this pause a little bit longer. Same thing. Like I need to cook it a little bit longer. I need to add a little bit more salt. I need to add a little less sugar. It's too sweet. It's too whatever. Like you're getting that real time feedback. So the next time you prepare that dish or the next time you tell that story or next time you deliver that talk, it's better because you've got, you keep getting the feedback over and over and over. And as long as you're speaking to different and new audiences every time, then you should be using a lot of the same material and, and continuing to refine it and make it better. Have you ever gotten bored with that speech? With those two speeches? Yeah, this is something I've talked with with speakers about is what happens when you're on stage and you're killing it. You're doing great. But like mentally, you just kind of feel like you're going through the motions. Mentally, I'm thinking this, about what to put in my grocery list for tonight. Yeah, like I'm, 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 I'm nailing it. But I am, what time's my flight? Yeah. What am I going to have for <laughs> dinner tonight? I wonder how, how much longer do I have? What's that person doing back there? You know, just any of those type of things. You know, you're having like these mental conversations. And so I think it is good to, to do things to mix it up for you. Like, you know, like the, the first time you, when you're, when you're delivering new content or new material, it kind of puts you on your toes. Of just like, ooh, okay, I don't know how this is going to go, but that's part of the, the fun. So I know one speaker who says, who, what does he call it? I think he calls it a new two. So every time he speaks, he says, it doesn't matter who I'm speaking to. I want to have two minutes, just, just two minutes, two minutes of new content that I've never done before. And sometimes it's, it's two minutes that I, and I don't know where it's necessary. Sometimes I have a rough idea of where it's going to go or where it's going to fit. But like, um, and this is him speaking, but like, I'm going to do this new two. And sometimes like, all right, there's something there. Now he's like, I'm mining for gold here right. basically. And sometimes there's something there and other times like, Nope, that didn't work. And it'll never see the light of day, you know? And so that, I think that, that doing things like that, that keep it interesting for you as a speaker are, are good. So you're also not just like, I'm, I'm stale. I'm going through the motions. Yeah. Cause there's some speakers, you know, that we both know who, uh, you know, you've seen them speak. And then five years later you see them speak and it's the same, talk. same thing. Yeah. And other speakers who like, I've seen them five times and it's five different talks and they were all so good. You mm-hmm. know, like they're really, really good at creating new content. A mutual friend, uh, John Acuff is like that. John's really, really good at coming up with new content. And so you can see John several times and see, see different talks and they would all be really well done. So do you, I mean, do you demo new material like that? Like that new two idea I love. Mm-hmm. I've, I never made a point to do that. But when I was leading long workshops, I would always be like, eh, let me try introducing this a little different today. What's it feel like when it bombs? 
So it's, sometimes it depends on the the setting where yeah. like, if I'm going to try, like I got this, this story, there's something there. I'm not sure what to do with it. Let's just kind of float it out there. This is probably not the type of thing. Like I'm going to float out at this 13,000 person event. Like, yeah, let's just, let's test some stuff and say, see what happens. But if I'm doing a, like, uh, you know, the, if I'm doing the, the talk for 2000 people and then turn around doing the workshop for 50 people, like, yeah, let's give this a shot in a 50 person workshop and just kind of see, is there something there? Cause it's kind of a low stakes thing. It feels a little bit more of a casual environment. You may be able to just try something. Yeah. Uh, so sometimes it depends on the context and the environment. There's times where I remember recently I, I told a story I'd never really told before, but it was so applicable to that audience and uh -huh. that, that industry that here's, there's something here. I've never really told this, but it works really, really, really well in for this specific audience. So there's times like that where you're, you're going to try something. There's also times where like something may work for one specific audience or in one specific time. I'll, I'll give an example of this. I remember years ago, I was speaking in uh, Washington, DC, and it was at the time that one of those major, uh, I think it was the G8 uh, World Leaders Summit was going on. And so it was at the, um, this hotel uh, this big conference, several thousand people there, but it was also the president of China was there. And so the, the secret service security media was just swarming all over the hotel. And it was, it was kind of a, like you walk through the lobby, like machine guns, secrets, like it was just, it was intense. They had multiple elevators and floors that were blocked off for the president of China. Like it's a big deal. Right. And so I opened the talk with here are 10 things you should not do when sharing a hotel with the president of China. And like, it works in that setting. I don't even remember what they were, but if oh, I rattled off- I was waiting for this to be a bomb story. Yeah, but like, if you, if you, if you tell it the next day, if I told it right now, like, okay, so one time I'm sharing yeah, a hotel- Well, you have to understand about the president is- yeah. yeah, yeah, like, let me tell you these 10 points. It's like, it's not funny now. It's one of those, like, you had to be there. Yeah. But those are also like good moments that you, you had to be there because it creates kind of this real, authentic, genuine, shared experience sure. that, that nobody else was a part of. And that's what, that's what people underestimate. And that's why you want people sitting closer. And that's why you want people seeing the other people in the audience. Yeah. When you're near other audience members, you laugh. Like laughter is actually social. Yeah. There's a reason why it's really hard to sit, to get someone who is sitting at home watching Netflix by themselves to laugh. Yeah. It's actually a social thing. Yeah. But like yep. SNL has been awkward. Yeah. With like with no laugh, with nobody in the audience, like it's, it's hard to pull off. So it's like getting the audience to share things together. That's why that works, which leads me to something I wanted to ask you about. But right now, everything's virtual. I know you do a lot of webinars, mm -hmm. virtual presentations. Grant, here's my question for you. How do you know when that's good? Like if, you know what I mean? Like if you're walking off the stage, big applause, webinar is just like, okay, email me with questions. So now what? Yeah. Um, it is, it is absolutely different. You know, I've, I've done uh, webinars and virtual presentations for, you know, hundreds and, and uh, sometimes a couple times thousands of people. And I'm in my home office. I cannot see any of their faces. They're right. all over the world. With that, you, a lot of times you really have to rely heavily on some form of chat. And that, and, and you also have to like kind of teach and train the audience to use the chat. So I always tell people right out of the gate, like, I can't see you. And so I, I'm going to rely heavily on the chat. So there are times where I might do, you know, so think about it like in, in church, you might do a, you know, can I get an amen type thing yeah. just to get some type of call and, yeah. and response type thing. So doing something like that in the chat of, Hey, if this makes sense, just type in the chat. Yes. And like, you just have a whole bunch of people typing yes. Like, okay, well, I can't see any of them, but at least I can tell like that's their virtual Someone's nodding listening. their head. Yeah. You know, they're, they're tracking with me. Um, 
And so that type of thing, sometimes I'll throw a joke out there and a couple of people throw in a ha ha, LOL, something like that. They're just like, all right, I didn't uh, request that, but I know like, okay. Oh gosh, imagine if you did. Type LOL if you just laughed at that joke. <laughs> right, right. That's, that's just painful. So it is, it's absolutely a very, very different thing. Now it's also different if let's say you're, you're giving some type of, of small group presentation via Zoom and you can see everyone's faces, right? You, they may all be muted. You can't hear them, but you can at least tell like, are they with me? Are their eyes kind of tracking? Uh, are, there, are they working on something else? Clearly, are they, are they you know, on Facebook, whatever? You can sense a little bit of that. But I think we absolutely have to realize like when you're giving a virtual presentation, it's different. It's not better or worse, but it's different. And so you can't assume that, hey, everything that works on stage is going to work virtually because that, that's not necessarily the case. So when you finish up though, like your wife is like, how'd it go? You're saying it's great. It's because people chatted or is it, is, what I'm getting to, is there something inside of you that feels like I can judge that went well? Yeah, I, the chat would be a big part of it. It also kind of depends on what the goal is for it. So, you know, in, in our case, some of the webinars that we do are to sell something, like to offer a program, you know? So I'm kind of looking at what are the results of that? I'm looking yeah. at, I'm definitely looking at the chat of like, did it seem, especially like when you, like you said, when you've done a presentation multiple times or you told a story multiple times, I remember hearing the uh, the comedian, uh, Nate Bargatze, and he was talking about, he was being interviewed by someone and they had the interviewer had gone to his show the night before. And he's like, man, you were killing it. And Nate was like, yeah, yeah, they were, you know, they were with me. And he's like, what, what do you like? What do you mean? And it's like, there's as the speaker or as the comedian, you can, you've heard the laughs or you've, you've seen the interaction. And so you can tell very, very subtly the difference between like, that laugh was just different than the one I yeah, got yeah. yesterday telling the same thing, right? I'll, let me tell you a quick sidebar here. So there's a uh, a speaker friend of mine and he he's friends with this big band and he went to one of their concerts in this like big arena type thing. He said he was kind of like hanging out backstage with them and then staying on the front row. And it's just like the place is just going crazy for this band. And then he said afterwards, he goes back to the green room to hang out with the band and the band's like, ah, that was, you know, that just wasn't our best. Like they just, mm -hmm. the crowd wasn't with us. And it's just like, what are you talking about? And so his point was like, there's two different shows. There's the show that the artist, the speaker, the band, whoever the comedian sees, and they're, they're, they're comparing that to every other gig that they have done. And so they have like, I know when we played this song before what the response was. And then there's the show that the audience sees and they're going, that was the most amazing thing that I've ever seen. And both are accurate. Like both are looking at it through their lens. Yeah. The other point I was going to make is as a speaker, remember like you are a human talking to a collection of other humans. So act like a human. Don't feel like you're this robot that has to right. spiel this, you know, and da, 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 da. And then I said this, and then this happened. And then I take five steps this way and I move my arm this. And it's just like, you can tell like someone's just like regurgitating the spiel. But yeah. I mean, I feel like I've given that feedback to so many people where my way of making advice for them is like, okay, here's this children's book that I read to my son. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, I'm a pelt pelt fit, right? Like I'm like making voices and I, I'm not saying you need to do that level in a presentation, but most people, when they can't see the audience, they revert to robotic. Yeah. yeah. Totally monotone. Yeah. 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 So do you do, I mean, Grant Baldwin naturally has pretty good energy. I don't know if it's you or Peloton or what it is, but like, <laughs> do you do something to get psyched up for virtual presentations? You don't, no. again, you don't see the audience. Like what's, no. what's your routine? 
No, not necessarily. And and sometimes it's, you know, like um, I'll give an example. Like we do, we do a couple different similar to like when you're standing on stage delivering a talk, you may give a lot of the same presentations. And so there's a couple of webinars we've given a whole bunch of times, but also for example, like at the time that's recording and given all that's going on in the world, we just put together a, a new long webinar about virtual speaking. I spent a lot of time on the content and we had uh, we had nearly nine thousand people register for this webinar. It was hmm. crazy, and so and normally we you know we'll have a couple thousand, but nowhere near that. And so I knew like okay, this is a topic that all of a sudden in a webinar that people are like really really interested in, and it is a there's going to be a lot of people there, and this is all new material that I've never presented before. But I feel really 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 good about the content. So like those vari- those variables and factors alone, just like, whew, I am stoked about this. Like I am really, really excited about this. And so I think like, you know, that if you ever, it's kind of like, I remember, I think it was your baseball fan. I think it was Vince yep. Scully who said, who's a, a famous announcer for the the Dodgers. Dodgers and yeah. he had said, if I ever get to a point where like, this is boring, like I should retire. So if there's ever a point where you're just like, I don't like there's, there's moments where you're like, I don't really want to be here. I don't want to give this speech. I don't want to, you know, I'd rather be home right now. Like there's moments every speaker feels that, but if it's just like a consistent, like every time I give a speech, I'm dreading it. Like you, you should be doing something different. Like it shouldn't require like, okay, buddy, here we go. Yo, let's go. Let's do this. You, you got it. Come on. You got to like pep. You got to like fire yourself up, you know, for something that like intrinsically you're not excited about, then you're, you're doing something wrong in the first place. So for a virtual presentation or a webinar, you're able to just go out there and just automatically be psyched up. Yeah. I, I mean, I look forward to it. I'm excited about it because one of, like, one of the things I will try to do in the beginning is especially where a lot of our webinars, I, I can't see faces. I, I don't know where these people are. So a lot of times I'll ask them just to, hey, drop in the chat. Let me know who you yeah. are and where you're from. And so I, there's Mike in Portland and there's you know Tommy in Pennsylvania. And, so, and you have people like all over the world. And it's, so that's also kind of the, a mm. cool thing of when you, like one of the limitations of speaking at a live event is you can only speak to those people that are in that room. There's a physical and geographical limitation of that versus like when you're giving a, a virtual presentation, you may have people all over the world, like literally all over the world who are joining and tuning in that may not have been able to consume this content otherwise without this opportunity. So there's that's, also like that feeling of like responsibility, like, this yeah. is really cool. There's this many people here from all over the place. And even if you think about like from the, through the lens of, let's say you're giving a, a virtual presentation and there's a hundred people or 500 people or a thousand people or several thousand people. It's one thing to be like, Oh, that's, that's the big arbitrary number. Even if I can't see their faces, but if you like stop to think about what is 100 people in a room look like? What does it look like? 500 that's people. Party. That's a lot of people, yeah. you know, or 500 people or a thousand people like, Oh, that's, like you think about all the, the thousand individual faces, a thousand individual humans mm-hmm. in a room, that's a lot of people, you know, like that's a big deal. And so, and so you, you, I, you don't want to take it lightly and just like kind of go through the motions or, or phone it in. 9,000 people is bigger than my hometown. I mean, that's something interesting. Yeah. You like start to think every, about like, yeah. when you think about like, for some people, like what was your graduating class of in high school? You know, yeah. you think about that Under or how 19 many, people. How, yeah, yeah. Like how many kids you even went to school with, right. you know, or those type of things are like, I wonder how many people live in my neighborhood right now. You know, like maybe, I don't know, 500 people. And like, man, there's more people that I'm speaking to uh-huh. right now than are than the number of people that are in every house in my subdivision or whatever. You know, you're just like, that's a lot of people. You know, that's a significant number. That's, I mean, I love this trick. <clears throat> I, it's interesting that you said the thing about like have people weigh in where they're from. 
you're not the first person who's ever suggested that, of course, but it's fascinating. There's one of the women that I'm coaching right now. She had me watch through her webinar and, you know, she did the same thing, like say where you're coming in from. And the moment that someone logged in from Minnesota, she's from Minnesota, like her whole countenance changed. Hmm. So there's something, I think there's something to seeing all these people right where they're from, picturing what that is, but that is reminding you that these are real people on the other end. Totally. Like it, the virtual audience is real. Right. And finding myself having to remind people of that a lot. Yeah. The virtual audience is real. Yep. So, absolutely. Grant, I want to move into an experimental section. Experimental might not be the right word. I don't know where this is going, but I'm excited. I'm not the first person to ever say this. Telling stories is a really strong move in a presentation. I want to give every guest on the podcast the chance to tell a story. So this doesn't, this doesn't have to be a story that you have told from stage, Grant, but yeah. I'd love for you to tell a story that can be funny, tragic, something that happened when you were 11. What jumps to mind? Let's hear a great Grant Baldwin story. Yeah. So this is actually a story that I have told from stage. Several years ago, I took my wife and daughters to Disney World down in Florida. And at growing up, I'd never had a chance to go to Disney. This was my first time, our first time as a family going there. We actually brought my mom with us as well. My mom had never been to Disney World. So it was a really cool experience. Like, you know, we're, um, my mom and I were walking around and I'm like, oh, mom, check it out. It's the teacups. Mom, the teacups. That's so cool. <laughs> mom, do you remember when I was a kid and you and me went on the teacups together? Do you remember that? You don't remember that? That's because you didn't bring me here, mom. <laughs> but I did not say that to my mother. So the, my daughters at the time were younger. They were, I don't know, probably, you know, six, four, two, somewhere there, <laughs> younger. And so my wife said the, the night before we we're going to go, my wife said, hey, we're going to dress up all the girls like little princesses. And we're, I'm just kind of like, like, really? Like, we're going to be that family? Like, we already homeschool them. Like, that's bad enough. And so she said, <laughs> you like that one? Um, LOL. And so she said, I uh, said, no, I, pro like, I promise there will be other little kids dressed up like princesses there, right? So the girls get all dressed up and we go to Disney World. We start walking around. And it was really interesting because everywhere we went, all of the employees or the cast members as they're known, they would see my girls and they would stop what they were doing. They'd go out of their way and they'd call them princess. And so they'd say things like, welcome to the magic kingdom, princess. Princess, you look beautiful today. Princess, I love your dress. And so this was happening all day long. Like all of them, like ride operators, gift shop people, uh, restaurant people, like all of them. And it just like, it got to the point where it was borderline annoying. Like someone would start walking up and I'd be like, yeah, princess, we got it. Thanks. Like it just kept happening. So we, we've been there all day. We had a great day. It's truly a magical place. So we're leaving and I'm walking down the kind of the main street. We're walking back toward the parking lot. I'm walking along with my oldest daughter, Sydney. And so Sydney would have been again, probably six, seven or so at the time. And we're walking along, holding hands, having the sweet little daddy daughter moment. And Sydney says, Daddy, I think they really believe that I'm a Disney princess. <laughs> and I was like, I'm starting to wonder if you actually are. <laughs> like, this place is really freaking magical. And so the point of the story, so a lot of times when, um, when I'm, I'm speaking to an audience, like one of the things we'll talk about is little things that you can do to make an impact and little mm -hmm. things that you can do, how little things collectively create some, some type of bigger impact. And so I, I'll use that in the context of, so listen, if, if, we, if we go to Disney and one person calls my daughter princess, like it's cute, but I'm not going to tell you about it. But when enough people say something to the point that by the end of the day, my daughter is literally questioning whether she's been transformed into a Disney princess, it's made a difference. 
And so everything we, you know, we, we've talked about, like, if you do one of these things, that's great. But if we all do this, like that's, that starts to create some significant change and impact. So that's a story I, I enjoy telling. Cause it's a fun, like, Oh, that's a pre- Let me talk. Like, I love my family. I'm married to my high school sweetheart. I got three daughters. I live in a house full of women. It's the best. And so I love talking about my family. I love talking about my girls. It's a really good, like poignant story to wrap up with. That's funny. And it's also has this like, Oh moment, but it's also like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. That really like, kind of encapsulates everything we've talked about and and brings it all, you know, full circle. That's wonderful. Yeah. Not everybody is going to, not everybody on the podcast is going to be able to summarize why the story is good and why it would matter in a speech, but. Well, and the other thing like, he's a professional. You you understand is like, I can tell that story and use it in a lot of different ways. Right. right? So you can, so like sometimes it's easy to, I've got this story, but I don't know what to do with it. Like, that's okay. You can figure out what to do with it. You can go a whole bunch of different directions with the story. Right. So, you know, the story could be about, you know, it could be someone, something about like uh, compliments and feedback. It could be something about, could be something about like self-identity, you know? Well, and it, it could be a story about you. It could totally. be a story about dad being like, oh, are you kidding me? Like, yeah, gonna, totally. Like you can, yeah. you can, and they all work. Like you can make it a bunch of different things depending on the context or depending on what the point is or, or who you're speaking to. But it's just important to like, as speakers, like capture good stories, even if yeah. you don't know what to do with them. Because I remember, I can vividly remember leaving the park and that whole thing had just happened uh-huh. and thinking like, there's something there that I could do something with. And like pulling out my, my phone and typing out a note and just like a couple of bullet points of what just happened. What did she say? And not even knowing like, oh, this is definitely going to someday when I'm on episode one, like I can't wait to tell this. It's just like, there's something there that I can use. I don't know what it is, but some like somehow we'll, we'll just, but just capture it versus like a week later, a day later, you're yeah, like, it gets away pretty quickly. It's gone. I have no yeah. idea what happened. Something happened at Disney and it's, but it's out of sight, out of mind. I had a great time at Disneyland. They really loved my girls. Yeah. That's a boring yeah. story. That's like, not a story. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, buddy. Grant Baldwin, thespeakerlab.com, author of The Successful Speaker. One last question. Giving you the final word here. I would love for you to leave our listeners with a Grant Baldwin speaking tip. So, Y'all, when I'm saying this, it's not hard to go online and be like, oh, best speaking tips. And someone's like, make eye contact. But I'm looking for something, something that's unique to Grant. What's something that you do, something that you found helpful that might help our audience? So we kind of touched on this earlier, but I would say that the audience takes their cues from you. Mm -hmm. So if you're having a good time, the audience is going to have a good time. If you're uncomfortable, the audience is going to be uncomfortable. You know, you're, you're speaking, you're on stage in front of a live audience. There's the speaker who's just like, I'm going to panic. I'm going to break out right. into a sweat. I'm going to freak out. I'm just going to be frozen. Uh, any number of things. The audience feels that and it just becomes awkward and uncomfortable. But the also realizing like, if you're just like, you realize again, you're a human talking to other humans and you're just like, yeah, I literally don't know what we were talking I was on a good thought there, but don't know where it was going. I don't know what we were talking about. Can someone get me back on track? Then like, it's just this lighthearted moment amongst the audience because the audience takes their cues from you. Like you can do that. You can have that exact same situation happen to a whole bunch of speakers and they respond different ways and the audience is going to, going to react accordingly. So yeah, just remember like you're, you're a human talking to a collection of other humans. So act like a human and know that the audience takes their cues from you. Yep. Yep. Totally. That's great. And sometimes those moments where you screw up, sometimes those are the things that the audience likes the most. 
Absolutely. I like, I love, it's a pain in the butt at the moment, but like when a cell phone goes off or when like there's a loud noise that happens or something that happens that is not supposed to happen, it creates like this real moment, this authentic moment. Again, it's kind of this like, oh, you had to be there type of thing. Like that's really, really good for, for speaking. Grant, you're a stud, man. This has been really fun for me. I hope it has been for you too. Every time I get to talk to you, I enjoy it. So thanks for, thanks for the honor and the opportunity. And there it is, episode number one in the books. Thank you to Grant Baldwin for being my first guest. Grant is the best. Check him out at the Speaker Lab, both the website and the podcast. Editing for this episode done by my good friend Doug Norrie. Music by Jonah Ramey. Everyone, thank you for listening. Until next time, this is Mike Pacquion. Do good things out there.